Does God care about how we sleep? Some saints famously slept very little. Should we imitate them? This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore why we sleep and how a good night of rest can help us be the people God is calling us to be. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to Physically Spiritual. As we get started, I want to share a few opportunities with you. If you want to support everything we're doing here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a part of the Awaken Nation The Awakened Nation is a community of patrons that, for as little as $10 a month, support the work we do here at Awakened Catholic. Uh, When you are signing up for the Awakened Nation, you can select the show host that you uh, enjoy the most, and part of your contribution will go to directly support that show. With your contribution to the nation, you'll also get access to some bonus content that goes along with different episodes and different things that are published here in Awakened Catholic. Also consider downloading the Awaken app. The Awaken app is free. Uh, It's the best experience how to watch or listen to all the shows and you get access to discussion boards, an alternative to social media, an opportunity to interact with the show hosts. Your premium content is on there. If you're a member of the nation, go to the awakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. At Awaken Catholic, we're also partners with the Hollow app. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. It includes a course on learning how to pray, uh, daily meditations and reflections on the scripture that are all free. And there's also a premium membership that will give you access to uh, additional courses on prayer, sleep stories, and much more. To sign up for a free subscription to uh, try out their premium content, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken to use our partner link. And please consider uh, following Awaken Catholic, liking this video, subscribing, hit that bell notification on YouTube, give it a thumbs up, comment, and rate the podcast. All of this interaction um, helps other people to find this show and to, to show all these platforms that this content is valuable and that people like to listen and watch it. So please interact with the content on whatever platform you're using. So this episode of Physically Spiritual is about sleep. It's part of our series on asceticism. We're talking about the relationship of asceticism and health. And I opened up with that question of there are many saints in the history of the church that famously slept very little, either because of their apostolic activity or because of um, of different spiritual activity that they experienced in the night or different things going on in their life that they would fast from sleep. But I, I want to pose the question with this episode, if that is something that should be imitated Or is that something that's extraordinary that maybe only some or very few are called to? Uh, I want to start with um, my story of sleep. In my life, I've, uh, I think I've pretty consistently struggled with sleep for most of my life. I remember as a child having trouble falling asleep at night and uh, in junior high, it was a big, um, a big bonus for me when I discovered audiobooks. I remember I would get audiobooks from the library and having um, that story in my ears would help kind of calm my mind and put me to sleep. In high school, I used the TV. I would have the, the cooking channel on almost every night in my room as I fell asleep. 
Um, I was able to get into a pretty good rhythm with sleep while I was in college, especially when I was in the seminary. But early on in my career, um, I struggled consistently with sleep. I, I would say there were years where I consistently only slept four to five hours a night, having trouble getting to bed um, at a decent hour and then falling asleep once I was in bed. Um, as part of my weight loss journey, then in the last five years, I had um, did a sleep study and actually started using a CPAP. I found out that I was waking up at least six times every hour um, and that likely this was somehow involved in both the weight gain and in trouble losing weight and appetite. And also there's a lot of other health risks associated with that. Um, so I've worked a lot on what might be called sleep hygiene. You know, I have to, I have to avoid naps and limit my screen time at night, uh, limit caffeine in the afternoon. And when I do these things, it gives me a fighting chance to fall asleep at night at a consistent time. Um, it's kind of ironic, actually. The night before recording this episode, <laughs> I only slept a few hours. But the day before, I took a nap, a, a long nap. And so I, I knew I was probably going to have a hard time with it. Um, but that is kind of my story around sleep. I know when I struggle with sleep, um, I struggle with other areas of my life. It's an occasion of sin for me. It's a place where uh, I think I'm weaker to temptations and um, I'm definitely not the best version of myself. I've learned a lot about um, sleep over the years as I've been trying to work on this area of my life. And one of the um, best sources of information I've found is a Dr. Matthew Walker. He wrote a, a pretty popular book simply titled Why We Sleep um, and has appear, appeared on many podcasts and talk shows. He's a, a professor uh, at UC Berkeley um, in both, I believe, psychology and also uh, neuroscience. And um, uh, this book was published not without some controversy, especially um, for his approach in general and sort of his interpretation and presentation of some data. Some people have called the question uh, some of his interpretation and ways that he's presented data over the years. Uh, but even though there's, I think, some limitations to the, to the approach, it's uh, one of the best introductions and sort of um, general presentations as to our knowledge about sleep. I'll link in the show notes. Um, one of my favorite podcasts on health is The Drive by Dr. Peter Atia. And Dr. Matthew Walker did a three-part deep dive with him, um, going deep into the subject of sleep. And also recently, in, in the last couple of years, Dr. Walker did a TED Talk. So I'll link that as kind of a short intro. And I'll also link the three-part deep dive with Dr. Atia um, if you want to go deep on the topic. And then also, of course, the book. One of the most interesting hypotheses that Dr. Walker has is he's asking the question, why we sleep? And he wants to reformulate it as why are we awake, right? It's not that we have to explain why we sleep, but explain where awake wakefulness come from, comes from. His theory is that, um, that sleep or being unconscious was the, the prior or, or default state and that consciousness emerged out from that. Um, and in spite of the fact that sleep in a lot of ways isn't particularly helpful if you're in a natural environment, you're very, um, you're very vulnerable to predators when you're asleep, you're, you're not um, reproducing, you're not getting food, you're not building shelter. So there's a lot of reasons why sleep isn't particularly useful for survival. And yet in spite of that, it hasn't been selected against as the human body has adapted over the years. Um, so there's something about sleep that we can't do without it. And, and even all of the different stages of sleep 
um, he theorizes, have important, um, invaluable uh, things that, that they do for the body that can't be done without. So in a sense, you might think that that consciousness is expensive. And as a result of consciousness, sleep is necessary. We still have to shift back to this prior state uh, in order for the mind to recover. Um, in a sense, sleep is the, is the cost and uh, being awake is the debt. So every moment we're awake, there's sort of a debt, especially to our brain functioning. And then on the other side, we sleep to pay that debt off. Uh, in the book, one of the most interesting things I, I found was the way he described different sleep cycles. There's different kinds of sleep. Most people know that there's REM sleep, rapid eye movement. This is uh, dreaming. But there's also four stages of non-REM sleep. So going from light sleep all the way down to deep non-REM sleep. Um, in the first half of the night, so you might think of everything up until maybe 2 a.m., you're, you're going through sleep cycles of roughly 90 minutes. I mean, everyone's a little different, a little longer, a little shorter. And in that first half of the night, the sleep cycles are more focused on deep non-REM sleep. The second half of the night, especially leading right up to waking up, the sleep cycles are actually going with more time in REM sleep, more time in the, the, the sleeping or in the dreaming state, uh, which is really important because um, you might think, well, if I get to bed later, I could just sleep in, or if I'm going to wake up really early, I can just go to bed earlier. And while it's certainly better to sleep more than to sleep less, there's something about the first half of the night and the second half of the night that something unique is accomplished at each stage that isn't made up for. You know, like if you don't go to bed until one o'clock, that deep non-REM sleep isn't actually fully recovered, even if you sleep seven to eight hours. And on the other hand, if you choose to wake up at three or four a.m. in the morning and go to bed very early in the afternoon, there's there's something about the the REM sleep, that's dream state, that you you won't fully tap into. Um, so there's a, a balance to sleep, and it really kind of correlates or corresponds with what's happening in the natural environment. Right? The human body sort of co-adapted to the cycle of the sun and the moon. So our, our body is literally hardwired, uh, and our sleep correlates with this cycle. And when we break out of the cycle is when we call get into a lot of trouble. So there are a lot of problems with sleep and, and a lot of some people I think have criticized Dr. Walker because of his focus on sort of the possible issues. But it's, it's clear from uh, research that there's an increase of relative risk associated with cancer, cardiovascular disease and dementia, which are the three leading causes of, of death from illness. Um, all three of these are increased in relative risk when somebody isn't sleeping enough. Um, when we're underslept, also our hormones are way out of whack. We're going to have an increase in the hormones associated with hunger, a decrease in hormones associated with satiety, and we're also going to have uh, less control of our blood sugar, possibly even putting us into a more like pre-diabetic or diabetic state. So there's this uh, whole thing that happens where we're out of whack when we're when we haven't slept enough. We want to eat too much, we don't get full, and then all of that food sends our blood sugar and a greater, a greater journey. This is likely or, or possibly one of the underlying causes that explain why all these different diseases come into play um, as a result of a lack of sleep. 
So the brain also experiences an increase in activity in the hedonic centers and decreases in the decision-making centers of the brain. I mean, the things, the part of your brain that sort of wants everything, that's attracted to everything, that uh, controls our attraction to things, that part of the brain is more active when we don't sleep enough. And then the part of our brain that's sort of the adult in the room that makes decisions, that limits things, that helps us to make good decisions for our long term, that part of the brain is downregulated, isn't as active when we don't sleep enough. During the night, uh, there's an interesting system in the body that activates called the glymphatic system. The glymphatic system, it's it's like the lymphatic system, but for the glial cells, which are, are the cells um, at one time thought to just sort of hold the uh, neurological structures together in the brain. Although I think we we understand that there's more to it than just gluing the brain together now. This is almost like the sewage system of the, of the central nervous system. So this glymphatic system activates while we sleep in a more sig- significant way, opening up and literally flushing out the brain, especially um, two proteins that have been identified as being associated with dementia or Alzheimer's are beta amyloid and tau protein. Uh, it's unclear if these proteins have a causal relationship with Alzheimer's or just happen to come along with it in in a greater volume, right? So they correlate, but the the causal relationship isn't clear. That this lymphatic system clears this debris out of the brain. Uh, And and then also, um, you know, would then have other positive effects in the brain too. Sleep has important roles in consolidating memories and storing long-term memories and uh, integrating and consolidating emotional memory too. So our ability to relate to others, recover from trauma, store information when we're learning, uh, remember uh, important things in our life. All of this, our capacity to do this is tied to our sleep. Um, So that's a lot, isn't it? It's pretty amazing what sleep can do. Uh, Dr. Walker's TED Talk is actually sleep is your superpower. So this idea of all this positive stuff that we get from sleep, and it, and this begins to illustrate why sleep hasn't been selected against. I mean, there isn't another process in the body that could possibly provide for all of these things that we need, all these things that are so important. So coming back to our original question, should we fast from sleep? I want to draw some wisdom from St. Ignatius of Loyola again in his spiritual exercises. When he's talking about fasting, he proposes the idea of fasting from sleep. He says, the second as to the manner of sleeping. Here too, it is not penance to leave off the superfluous or delicate or soft things, but it is penance when one leaves off from the suitable and the manner and the more and more the better provided that the person does not injure himself and no notable illness follows. Besides, let not anything of the suitable sleep be left off, unless in order to come to the mean, if one has a bad habit of sleeping too much. All right, so this is kind of an, an old language, an old trans, a translation from an older version of Spanish. But what he's saying here is, it's not a penance to just leave off from comfortable things. So, Um, What he's saying is we shouldn't have, if we want to um, sleep in a way in accord with us, uh, too fine of things around us. You might think of like the silk sheets or something like that. You know, it's, it's noble to abstain from things like that and you could give the money to the poor. 
right? Someone who doesn't have a bed at all, maybe. Um, but on the other hand, he doesn't recommend actually fasting from a suitable amount of sleep. Even in the context of this writing was for uh, a silent retreat that the people would be on. So even in the context of the retreat, he's, he's actually telling you that you should sleep less in order to come to a mean, meaning making sure you're not sleeping too much. But he's still recommending a sufficient amount of sleep, that it's not suitable um, to injure yourself or to cause illness by not sleeping enough. Um, so from this, I would, um, I would go along with that, echoing that fasting from sleeping actually isn't a prudent idea. Um, now, there's, I think, some people, a very small portion of the population who just doesn't need enough sleep. But I think this is more rare than people think. Um, and there may be different reasons in your life why you just don't sleep enough. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should all start sleeping less as a form of penance, right? Just think of um, the fact that the part of your brain that's associated with pleasure-seeking is acting more, and the part of your brain that's involved with decision-making is acting less after you don't sleep enough. Um, so in this context, not sleeping enough is actually a near occasion of sin, right? We're putting ourselves in a state where we're going to experience more temptations and we're going to be less capable of making good decisions in light of them. Uh, so not sleeping is to put ourselves in a near occasion of sin. I want to share now from paragraph 766 of the Catechism, an interesting reflection here on sleep. So it says, The church is born primarily of Christ's total self-giving for our salvation, anticipated in the institution of the Eucharist, and fulfilled on the cross. The origin and growth of the church are symbolized by the blood and water which flow from the open side of the crucified Jesus. For it was from the side of Christ as he slept the sleep of death upon the cross that there came forth the wondrous sacrament of the whole church. As Eve was formed from the sleeping side, sleeping Adam's side, so the church was born from the pierced heart of Christ hanging dead on the cross. So these two famous moments of sleep. In, in the New Testament, when it's talking about someone who's passed away but is going to experience the resurrection, it often uses the image of sleep to describe their state, that they're not conscious, but in a sense they're not gone. They're present in heaven. Uh, so this sleep of Christ, Christ is already dead on the cross, and his side is pierced as a test to find out whether he's dead. And it's from that piercing of his side that the blood and water flow out. Uh, and it's this is the sort of moment of the birth of the church. The church is, is always expressed in the feminine. It's Holy Mother Church. The church is always she. Uh, the church is described in Ephesians 5 as the bride of Christ. Um, so the church is our mother. And there's a comparison here made to Adam. Adam is put to sleep and God draws out from his rib and forms Eve from that rib. Now, there's a beautiful reflection on this sleep of Adam by John Paul II, St. John Paul II, in his general audience from November 7th, 1979. Now, this teaching is part of a, a bigger teaching, often called the theology of the body, where he's reflecting on the, the nature of what it means to be human, love, um, and life. So his reflection on November 7th, 1979 states, the Bible narrative seems to go beyond the dimension of man's subconscious. 
If we admit, moreover, a significant difference of vocabulary, we can conclude that the man, Adam, falls into that sleep in order to wake up male and female. In Genesis 2.23, we come across the distinction Is and Isa for the first time. Those are the Hebrew words for male and female in this context. It says, perhaps, therefore, the analogy of sleep indicates here not so much a passing from consciousness to subconsciousness as a specific return to non-being. Sleep contains an element of annihilation of man's conscious existence. That is, to the moment preceding the creation, in order that through God's creative initiative, solitary man may emerge from it again in his double unity as male and female. Right? So in the scripture text, he's pointing out a, a quirk of the vocabulary. Prior to the creation of woman, Adam is referred to as Adam, could be translated as humankind. And then after the creation of woman, the terms East and Isa are used, indicating male and female, man and woman. Um, so th- there's this sense of almost humanity is being split, you might say, um, taken from his rib uh, as his equal, right? Made of the same stuff. But on the other hand, Adam is put to sleep. He's in a passive state, indicating that Adam isn't active in the creation of woman. It's an act of God as as being his equal. Um, but then Adam, Adam, the man names the woman uh, to signify uh, the, the relationship there. So there's this relationship of um, Christ in the church and husband to wife. And it's a, a mutual self-giving uh, in order for the completion of mission. But let's pass back over this idea of sleep that's being indicated here. In the footnotes of this section, um, John Paul II notices the, the Hebrew that word that's used here when it's translated into the Greek. So there was an ancient translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek called the Septuagint. The word for ecstasy is used here, right? It's like Adam's consciousness is taken up into God's consciousness. There's this um, communal, unitive almost spiritual dynamic that's here. I think it's really interesting considering uh, Dr. Walker's theory that that sleep is sort of the prior state. And then John Paul II here is talking about sort of this annihilation of consciousness or this uh, moving into a, a prior state of existence, back to the moment of creation. Um, so from this uh, reflection, we can, uh, I think, draw some practicals. We can land the plane a little bit. One, it's from this sleep that they, they find uh, communion with one another. They find communion with one another, but they're capable of true union with one another, true self-gift to one another because of their faculties of reason and will, right? Because they're in the image and likeness of God. And I, and I think there's an interesting correlation with this uh, between um, between the capacity to be the best version of ourselves, right? We're a communion of persons by becoming a gift of ourselves due to our, our reason and will. And then when we sleep, it sort of primes the physical parts of us that would correlate with the capacity to be the best version of ourselves, right? So there's this connection between um, the capacity to be who God calls us to be and a surrender to sleep, 
an, an allowing of that process to happen. Uh, sleep is, I think, a real, it's a surrender, right? You have to give yourself to it. I think here of the antiphon that goes along with the canticle of night prayer, which is part of the liturgy of the hours, the breviary, the prayer of the church. Uh, it says, protect us, Lord, as we stay awake and watch over us as we sleep, that awake we may keep watch with Christ and asleep rest in his peace. Right? There's this dynamic that when we sleep, we're vulnerable. God has to watch over us to guard our heart, that there's there's something about sleep that we're uh, surrendering ourselves to something something deeper. There's a bit of it out of our control um, that, in, in a sense, the, what's coming up in our sleep is a mix of a lot of what's come up in our life before, but mixed up in a way that we're not in complete control over. So we need to surrender to sleep in trust and, and really as a way of giving our heart to the Lord. Now I want to share some tips for sleep. I want to propose that we're not called to fast from sleep, except in some extraordinary cases. Maybe you just find yourself as someone who sleeps very shortly and you seem not to be able to fix it. Um, maybe you have some, um, some calling and with it, some supernatural grace that goes along with it to enable that to happen. But I, I don't think fasting from sleep is the ordinary. I think we should actually fast from not sleeping. And when I say that, I don't mean sleeping too much because actually some of the, the research suggests that sleeping too much is, is harmful and is harmful in a lot of the same ways that sleeping not enough is. There seems to be a sweet spot um, sleeping, you know, that seven to eight to nine hours um, and having that sleep spread out over the night kind of lined up with the cycle of the moon and the sun. There's a sweet spot to that. So here's some tips. And with these tips, I think there can be some penitential practices. One is to wake up at the same time every day. Wake up at the same time every day, meaning set your alarm, regardless of whether you're working, whether you're not working, set that alarm for the same time. Uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva, in his book, his compilation called The Way, he talks about a heroic minute. And that heroic minute is that first moment upon waking. And there's sort of a first choice in that minute. Are you going to conquer your lower nature or are you going to give in to that passion for rest? You know, when you wake up first thing in the morning, it's like ecstatic. It's so warm in the sheets and perfect. And your body just wants to go back to sleep. Um, but I love uh, a phrase that I, I picked up from Jocko Willink. He said, snooze is a dream killer. <laughs> Meaning if you hit the snooze button on your alarm, you might dream a little bit more in your bed. But if you hit your snooze too much, it'll make sure that the dreams you have for your life never come true, right? You're wasting that time. You're starting your day with a moment of weakness, with a moment of defeat. Once you're awake, uh, there's some research that suggests that a bright lights, whether it be a sunlight from the outside or bright lights from a lamp, actually help to set your, your hormones associated with sleepfulness and wakefulness. So in a sense, putting that bright light on will help you wake up, but then will also prime your body to get sleepy later in the day when you need to go to sleep. The second thing is to limit your caffeine. Uh, definitely stop caffeine before lunch or limit it as much as possible in the afternoon. Uh, but having, I think, temperance around caffeine is a great ascetical practice that's both good for you and good for helping your sleep. Getting exercise in before dinner. 
You know, exercise is good, but exercising too late in the day can keep you awake at night. So getting that your exercise in early in the day consistently helps you get more tired at night. But if you exercise too late, if you put it off, um, then it can keep you awake. So an ascetical practice of getting that exercise in early. So the third thing, turn down the lights with sundown and avoid other sources of artificial light like screens, your phone, your tablet, your computer, your television. Now, there's been a lot of, uh, I think, discussion around the effect of blue light on sleep, but there's actually been studies done that take the blue light out of the picture and they find that just the screen itself provides a certain amount of stimulation and that stimulation also can be disruptive of your ability to fall asleep. So I know for me, if, if I start like watching videos on YouTube or something at night, it's just a recipe for staying up too late and then not being able to fall asleep even when I go to bed. There's a great discipline to putting yourself to bed, putting yourself to bed, meaning making an active choice of the will to get ready for bed and to go to bed. Now, there's a bit of an art to it. Um, it can actually be unhelpful to go to bed before you're tired. Like if you go to bed and lay down and you're not actually tired at all, it could actually kind of disrupt the process of getting tired enough to fall asleep. So some people, when uh, when people struggle with insomnia, recommend waiting till you're tired to go to bed. But it's important that when you have that inkling to sleep, when you do feel tired, that you put yourself to bed, have a routine around it. You know, the common stuff like brushing your teeth, um, a cold environment can help. There's also a connection between anxiety and sleep. Anxiety kind of keeps the body in an alert state, in a fight-flight state, in an activated state. And that activated state um, can be disruptive to falling asleep and sleeping well. So working through anxiety can be especially helpful. And this is where some great tools, um, like in a few episodes, we're going to talk about the examine prayer, about sort of noticing God in your life, working along with the discernment of spirits, this um noticing the movements of your heart and identifying their their source can help on a spiritual level to deal with anxiety. And then a lot of the physical practices that we're talking about in the season, like having a good good diet, having good exercise, having good connection with others, but also having time of solitude, all of these things can help to deal with that anxiety. But facing and dealing with your anxiety in a productive way can also be helpful with sleep. So I hope this episode has given you some ideas of how you can apply discipline, how you can apply asceticism to your life in order to sleep well, to sleep well so that you can love others and love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.